Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. Hey, if you've ever been that kind of person, which is me, wanting to get a lot done and see how fast you could do it and accomplish, 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 and then have a moment of silence and feel a little empty, like, ooh, how do I fill this space? Then you got to listen to my next guest. You're about to learn a lot from Jeff Warren of Calm, a superstar. I'm shocked, honest to God, that I'm a meditator. I'm a doer, <laughs> I'm an accomplisher. I can get it done, count on me. I squeeze everything out of one minute. I'm not going to waste a second. And <laughs> here you have me meditating. How? I'm just more surprised than I'm sure you are <laughs> because I know myself. If mm. I could meditate, uh, it's, it's mind-boggling. Everybody can meditate because I'm the least likely to succeed, I think. Well, what, what happened to get you meditating? I'm curious. Like, what, what was the thing that turned a corner for you? I felt like I couldn't sleep at night. Oh, right. I had constant to-do lists, and I would jump from list to list to list, department to department. I just couldn't calm myself down anywhere. I was like a train out of control running down a track, you know? I, I get it. Not like I was going to have an emotional breakdown. The next day, I'd brush myself off, be just fine, and go out and do it again. But I yeah. just finally, uh, you call it self-care. You know, mm. I call it wasting time and then I reframed it, you know? Well, I would frame it too as maintenance. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's just part of the handling instructions of having a mind and body is that you have to actually pay attention to it. We didn't even realize that about physical fitness, you know, 40 years ago. And now mm. we're realizing it about mental fitness that uh, there are certain basic maintenance routines that are just really good for the nervous system. And uh, if you want to function well and be happy, then... It behooves you to start to figure that out. Basically, life will bring it to you if you don't do it. Eventually, life, if you just keep going at the insane breakneck pace, at least that was the case for me, it'll, it'll hand you your ass. <laughs> you know? and so. I think it, it really, you can guarantee that that really happens with anybody who's working themselves into the grave, that it will catch up with them. Because I didn't think it was going to catch up with me. And I'm not even sure if I go right back to it. Uh, I could I could still race uh, probably another 10, 20 years, I feel. Yeah, well, it's a good question. I, I think different people have different levels of resilience and sort of natural competencies. I definitely, my mom's a doer. She'll be a doer her whole life. And so is my dad in his way. But what does happen is if you, if you, never, if you never turn it off, then there is a toll. The question is, where does it happen? Some, some people it happens in their health. Some people it happens in their relationships. You know, they realize mm -hmm. that there's a kind of um, uh, aggression or a kind of distance or an alienation in a lot of the closest relationships that the basic things about being a human being that are, should be inherently rewarding and satisfying are just not really there. Like you don't, you can't really be with yourself. You can't enjoy the moment. And that's a kind of suffering too. You can, you can keep going. You know, but the question is, it's like, I guess it's also a kind of morbidity versus mortality thing. What are the conditions that you're keeping going in? Is it even worth it? You know, if you're not getting the basic sense of uh, ease and connection and happiness in life and fulfillment, then that's where I would say it's maybe worth looking at some kind of practice to help 
kind of bring you down to earth a bit because because it, it will it, it does help and it, it can really make a difference as you're learning i guess i think it's very hard when you if you pause for a minute to put the brakes on yeah uh, whatever causes you to do that uh to be with that silence no kidding and i think that gives you the uh the real pause, uh, the wake-up call, a quiet wake-up call, but a wake-up call instead of a heart attack, okay? Yeah. But as well, long as you then just keep going, if you just get going, busy on the next thing, you forget about it. It's a it's a very hard thing to actually take seriously. You no take question. It, you see? Do people, you think, have those pauses and never question and just go on with business as usual, their business of living? Yeah, actually, I do. I think there are, I think there are some people who are naturally have a kind of meditative disposition in the sense that they never formally meditated or made it a thing, but they just have a way to connect to something quiet and settled in them. And mm. they can kind of do it through the day. They have, or they have their activities or go-to practices that help them get there. And you kind of know those people, you know, if you think around, think about the people, you know, in your life, there are people who just have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad, would want, yeah. Mm-hmm. my dad too. My dad's a kind of a, builder carpenter type and like when he's in his shop like he's in the zone you know it's it's it's, it's kind of what's good for him would you consider meditation a healthier habit than working in a shop or working in your garden or you think it's all the same stuff it's not all the same stuff um there are some overlaps i think uh i guess i would put it into two buckets there is maintenance on the self and then there's transforming the self a lot of what we're talking about right now is the basic maintenance like resetting coming back to, to grounds so your nervous system can settle finding things that are just inherently soothing or comfortable and put you in your body like we know what those things are and they're they're the kind of and this is, this goes along with getting good sleeps and eating well and getting exercise it's like the basic maintenance that kind of keeps a, a mind and body happy and functioning but there are there's a deeper thing that meditation points to and indeed more i guess traditionally what are called spiritual practices which is this sort of transforming end, which is both the healing, what's maybe needs healing in us for people who've had challenging backgrounds and experiences, like it can begin to get at those things, but also a sense in which, I'll put it this way, if, if the maintenance stuff is about changing conditions so you can act more optimally, the deep training of meditation is to not need to change the conditions to be okay. So there's a, a training and learning to be okay no matter what is going on and a change that happens inside you because of that, that uh-huh. meditation brings. And you can't really say that about a lot of those other things, although they may do it in part. You, you never, I would never generalize. You kind of got to take it on a case-by-case basis. But that's famously what meditation uh-huh. has been for humanity for thousands of years. You know, um, in your course, which I think is so beautifully done, the 20 lessons on how to meditate, um, how many people have listened to that? has to be millions of people millions you know it's crazy that that really got me connected to a much bigger audience through the calm app and i think it was 30 30 days because the emphasis really was on how to meditate and kind of trying to put in practical terms all the things that i've the hard lessons that i've learned and how can i put those in little 10 minute sections so i do get a lot of email about about that i hear people do appreciate it so i guess it worked for you <laughs> so that's really cool of course it did, but don't you, uh, do you have any idea how many people are actually following those 30 lessons and why they work so effectively? Because you change your topic every single lesson. Yeah. I know you change how much you speak in each one, it varies. Yeah. Uh, you, you have a different focus. Uh, it's almost yeah. like a motivational lesson, or I find it so. 
keep with it, keep with it. It's basically the underwriting message I, I keep hearing you say in a million yeah. different ways. I say that in lots of different ways. And um, I, I don't know the number. I know there is, it is probably in the millions at this point. Uh, but I would say that part of what makes it work is that I do offer things for the mind. I offer kind of framings for people who want to understand things. So, you know, the thing is you can just meditate or you can understand why you're meditating. And those are two different things. And I felt like that's what it was missing for me from a lot of the guidance that I had received was that I knew, okay, go do it. And here's how you do it. But I was like, why, why am I doing it? What's the reason? What am I, can I notice in real time? The, what does my experience show me about why I should be doing this? And like, there's all kinds of subtle things you can point out in the moment that I felt like, you know, I felt like I wanted to try to point out in that course. And I think that's partly why people like it. It's like, cause they're getting the goodies for their mind. They're like, okay, yeah, I get it. And then it's like, okay, now I can bring this out in the world. I can try it out. And you learn there's a lot going on, even though meditation seems like nothing is happening. You're just sitting and existing. There are actually these subtle muscle groups that are being trained. And for me, deliberately pointing out the muscle groups, highlighting what they are, how they work. I think that's part of it. And that actually, the, I got that approach from my teacher, which is a guy named Shinzen Young, who's a genius. So uh -huh. props to him. That's his, his kind of way of doing it. And I think that's probably part of the reason why it's so successful. I think part of the reason uh, your series is so successful is because of the names you label it. I mean, mm. how did you come up with those names? I, I wrote some of my favorites. I have most of them start. In fact, I stopped <laughs> starring after a while because I started everything. Roller Coaster, Sanity Day. I love the waxy buildup. The Do Nothing Project. How do you come up with that? That's great copywriting. I'm a marketing type person. I'm thinking, mm. whoa, he'd be great in advertising. How do you come up with that stuff? Yeah, so the titles, I guess, uh, well, I mean, I was a writer before. I was a meditation teacher, so I... Uh, I suppose so, That's yes. where it comes from. The waxy buildup is actually a Shinzen-ism. My Shinzen, that Shinzen Young, my teacher, that's his expression. But no, they're basically, because I'm a writer and because I listen to a lot of music, and so I kind of like, almost like thinking of them as song titles uh -huh. and thinking about the writing in that same way. Like, how can I create these little miniature kind of songs about uh, that uh -huh. are about meditation, I guess you could say. Yeah. They always end with motivation, I feel. I feel that's the common ground. I always feel a well, little more motivated. Well, that's important yeah. to do that, you know, because it's very, because it's so subtle what's happening and because it's so easy, particularly after you're over the, over the novelty hump, you know, at first it can be interesting because it's like a new thing you're doing, but then there's a point where it suddenly it kind of gets boring or suddenly it gets hard and that's when people bail. So yeah. a lot of your, your job as a meditation teacher is to actually offer motivation. And a lot of the motivation comes with just kind of giving people a sense of the, the, the landscapes. So you say, mm -hmm. look, Hey, it's going to, there's going to be a part where it's going to get boring and it's going to get hard. That's when people bail. Don't bail. That's mm -hmm. when it actually starts to really matter the practice. It's because like, the practice is teaching you how to be with times that are hard, not needing to just like switch it up immediately to go to the next thing. It's like, no, no, actually, can I stay here inside this discomfort? That's the warrior training. You know, you learn that actually you can, that in more and more intensities in life, you can stay totally present with what's here. And that's really what we're, that's the long-term training of the practice. Jeff, I'm not sure I buy into your theory. I mean, I get it halfway, mm. but not all the way mm. about you. And you raise it very often about building your muscle, your meditation muscle. Yeah. So even if you can't focus, uh, if, if you feel like you're not getting the, anything out of it, you're getting something out of it because in attempting to come to your home base, which you which I yeah. think is key, all right? Um, you're, you're constantly uh, saying, it's, so, it's all right, it's all right. You're building a muscle. So basically it's, you're failing, but you're building it. So don't worry about it, stay there. 
Can yeah, more like that. Is that a physical thing? You actually build a muscle? I guess that's the part mm-hmm. I'm a little confused about. Well, it is a physical thing, actually. When you look at, you know, brain scans of long-term meditators, you do see changes in the neural architecture. I mean, you see changes anytime there's any change happening. There's changes in the brain. But there are certain areas connected to emotional regulation that get more robust and develop more connections. Mm-hmm. Ditto with the areas around positive affect and positive emotions. So there is actually substantive changes happening in the brain. So that's real. But the real change, like, so that's one way to frame it. But I guess the way I would frame it, maybe in terms of to make it even more relatable, is what changes is your capacity to be available with what's here. And it's like, just by the process of being more aware in the moment, it's like awareness is a kind of solvent it starts to take away all the parts in your experience that were not letting you be here. All the agonizing, all the overthinking, all the fighting, the, the, um, uh, the, the sort of suffer layers, that stuff starts to kind of get more, that's what's happening. So even when you're having a hard meditation, the fact of just being there and, being, and seeing what's happening, it's like deep down in the circuits, there's a kind of erosion that's happening where all the parts that have like led to more suffering are starting to kind of clear out. So you, the experience you have of meditating over time is that you're just more and more, your baseline is more and more clear, mm. more and more just open, clear, present. And it's only through the practice that you start to see that before you weren't really like that, that before mm. you were always in this sort of agonized fight, you know, you're always in this. And so that's what really changes. And that's, so you want to call that a building a muscle. I mean, there's different metaphors for it. You could call it in traditional Buddhism, they call it uh, working through your afflictive emotions. You know, there are different ways to talk about it, but I would say it's like your your the muscle you're building is the muscle of being present, <laughs> and that yeah. definitely happens. Yeah, it doesn't look like a bicep, uh, but uh, <laughs> but although even, you know, what does look like a bit of a bicep curl is the concentration muscle. Mind wanders, you bring it back. Mind wanders, bring it back. At first, it's hard to do. But after you keep doing it after a while over time, you know, you find you can concentrate more easily. So it's like you have a more, a kind of the neural architecture is more, you know, allows you to stay in place more. So that's a kind of buildup. I have to uh, take exception with you on one thing you've changed. I do not like, and and I bet you could tell me where I could find it again on your daily trip, which is just the right size, just the right stuff. Mm -hmm. And always seems to be just what I'm supposed to hear that day. With that, you used to have a background sound that was like, I guess in the valley, it felt like it was slight birds singing in the background. You've changed that. Do oh, no, know? that's the setting. That's easy. That's just the setting you turn back really? on and calm. That Whoa, what setting me. is that? I miss my birds I, so much. They help me find. Yeah, I don't even know. I think if you go just to, I think, wow. yeah, if you just search for background, uh, background music or background sounds, there's like a nature sound. There's like different... And that you can put that on underneath the practices for sure. Oh, thank yeah. God. Some people love that. Can I tell you, I love it. Every time <laughs> I heard something, I could, I could hang on to my home base. And when I couldn't hear mm. the birds, I was reaching for it. Oh, good. I thought I was ruined forever. Yeah. Well, Barbara, what have you noticed from the meditation? Like, well, why do you keep coming back to it? You know, it's like when you buy a new car, you notice that every same new car on the road, right? Or you have mm-hmm. a child, you notice all the kids, okay? Uh, but what I have noticed for myself is I get less hyped up through my day. I would use, uh, not clear, I would use the word calm. I feel inside a little, I'm not trying to, I don't want to say I'm like the most calm person, but I feel a little calmer inside me, just overall. I don't get caught up or hooked up as easily as I got hooked up. Even things in the street or with people that might annoy me, 
uh, I'm yeah, like, yeah. Hmm, that's okay. I let it, it's like a water over me. I, yeah, I got yeah. a lot of work to do. You know, years that's, ago, that's, I wrote a book. That's the equanimity muscle, by the way. That's, and you always use equanimity muscle. Is that really a muscle? That well, you maybe or that's just, just a metaphor. Habit. That's the equanimity skill, the equanimity that's, training, the equi yeah. equanimity capacity. Yeah. You feel like you can't be blown over quite as well. That's so, it. You're more well, You don't even mind the, the wind so much, you know, exactly. not worried about that. I was starting to say years ago, I wrote a book with, uh, who is now a dear friend, Bruce Littlefield. Mm. And I had an interesting experience. I was working with him for a year and every two or three months we wrote every day, every two or three months he would call me and say, I'm sick today. He said, I can't write. I knew he wasn't sick. He just needed a break from me. Well, I would show up at his house and ring his doorbell and eventually he'd be writing with me within 20 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. One time I got so upset when he called over, I was like, blah, 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 really like letting him have, which isn't really my style, but I was so intense. And he just, instead of talking back, just looked at me and said, okay, okay, okay. I went home that night. I couldn't sleep. He, it drove me crazy. What's the difference in that guy? He had been meditating. And when I asked him, he said, I've been meditating every morning. It helps me. And he said, you really need it. That was what, <laughs> 10 years ago. I never did it until I happened to find you on the Calm app. I have to say, uh, shopping the Calm app, because there are other competitors, although you're probably cool enough where you won't call them competitors. You call them fellowships. <laughs> For me, they'd be competitors. <laughs> no one has your voice. How, how much does your voice have to do with the success of what you're doing? For me, it's everything, the voice. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think uh, there's no question that, um, you know, certain voices have a certain relatability. I mean, there are a lot of people who don't like my voice, no doubt. And so I think that Impossible. you kind of, Impossible. You, you think you, you look for someone who you vibe with a little bit, who seems relatable. And, um, and I think I do hear that about my voice, I guess that it's uh, kind of relatable. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe because I laugh a lot. I think that people uh, kind of respond to that maybe because people imagine meditation should be so serious and dour. And that's not really how I experience it. And um, but there are a lot of other teachers who laugh a lot too, you know, that's definitely a thing within in Indian civilization with the classic Indian gurus that are always giggling and laughing. And yes. <laughs> so, yeah. I think also because you make fun of yourself a little bit too. Oh yeah. I, 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 I I'm worth of making fun of. <laughs> There's a lot of ridiculous things about me. <laughs> so how has the attitude of the public changed? I feel like it's been radically changed, but not to the degree that working out is now part of our everyday culture. Everybody wants to stay in shape. But I, I remember always thinking that people who meditated were kind of out for lunch, uh, yeah. a bit long hair, kind of weirdos, you know, yeah, has yeah. that changed or does that still hang around? Uh, it's definitely changing. Mm -hmm. I think there are still certain, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> judgments about the culture of meditation, but we've seen, you know, in the past 10 years and every year more than ever, I mean, the pandemic really brought it home that mental health is so important. So you're seeing this enormous uptake mm -hmm. in the culture. So not just in the apps, but there isn't hardly a, you know, a police department, a fire department, a corporate culture, a school that doesn't at least understand or pay lip service to the principles of mindfulness in some way. Or, and now there are all these trainings that are happening in all those different settings. So yeah, we're, it's, it's interesting. We're not quite where we are with physical fitness, but I wouldn't be surprised if in I mean, there's no question they're already beginning to integrate it into schools. Mm -hmm. So just like you have fitness in schools, you're going to have mental fitness, mental emotional fitness in schools. And that's starting to happen. And so I think in 10 years, you're going to, it'll be even more 
integrated into the culture. I hope it is because we need it. You know, we're kind of like pretty uptight and wound up. I think it's typical the social question today. If you're in decent shape, people say, what do you do to work out? It's like, a, where do you go to school? That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, nobody's ever said, I've never heard a conversation. I wonder if it could really go that far where, what do you do to meditate? <laughs> I wonder too. I think the question would be, what's your practice? Because oh. there are practices, practice is the larger category. And mm. You can get some of the, if not all of the benefits, a lot of the benefits of meditation from say a very slow, like a Tai Chi slow movement practice or like a yoga practice, or there are ways of, I mean, especially once you understand the skills that are being built with, or the muscles or whatever your metaphor within meditation, you can kind of activate those deliberately when you're doing these slower, more deliberate other kinds of practices so that you get, like when you hang out with like old school martial arts, you know, masters, they got a lot of the same kind of meditation chops as like your classic Zen teacher or something. There's some vibe that they have that's similar. So there's definitely an overlap in those trainings. So I don't think you have to be doing a seated meditation but the question of well, what's your practice? What do you use to kind of to connect more deeply to the, to your life? That will be a question people will ask each other, and um, that's what I try to talk a lot about with the, my Conscious Explorers podcast and other stuff that I do because I'm really excited about that idea. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, the commonality between each of those things is being in the moment? Yeah, one of the commonalities. Well, one of the commonalities is. Um, that's probably the main one <laughs> is like being in the moment, but being in the moment with equanimity, meaning you're not trying to fight with how the moment is. Mm. You're not trying to, you don't have a subtle agenda around manipulating it or changing it. You're not trying to push something away. You're mm. just opening to the full reality of what's here in this kind of brave way. That is definitely, I would say it's part of the common core. Mm. And then probably also a, a kind of concentration piece too, where you're kind of getting in flow or you're getting in the zone. Why is it that it hasn't made any headway into the school systems? Well, it's starting to. Oh, it's, it is really. It is starting to. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I mean, I hear all the time about different initiatives that are happening in high schools and elementary schools. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. I used to do stuff with this group called IB Me that did all these teen retreats and they've been getting more and more stuff going on for them. And so it is, it is happening, but it's just, you know, it takes time to change the culture. People are suspicious of it because they think it's like a religious thing. And it's been framed in as a religious thing. And it doesn't mean there isn't a spiritual component to it, but the bare bones of meditation is, it's just, uh, it's fully secular in the sense that it's just something you can do with your, with your nervous system, just like exercise is something you can do with your nervous system. It doesn't, it shouldn't have to belong to a tradition or particularly a religious tradition. It's, mm -hmm. it's for all of humanity, you know. And like I said, a lot of people figured it out on their own and they never had any kind of weird religious program or cool religious program. They just figured it out because that's just who they were. I have a 16 year old who, who can't focus. She's all over the place. And when I spoke to the uh, school head, when I was first applying uh, for that school, I said, what percentage of your kids are on ADD medication? And she said, 85%. Well, oh that's a special ed school, but I thought to myself, I don't believe it. Um, I've that's never opted sense. for that for my daughter. But in that particular school, I'm in the New York area, and uh, any other schools I visited when I was looking for a high school for Kate, uh, I didn't have one person say they provided that service for these ADD kids who are bouncing off the walls. You know, what do you make of that instant uh, fix of giving kids medication? Uh, to help them focus. I, I, I'm just still stunned uh, by how common it is. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I, I, you probably guess, I think that it's uh, uh, majorly problematic. Like 
you know, it's a big question and it's a big topic because I have an ADD diagnosis and I don't use meds. I tried, they didn't work for me. For some people, they really do work and they're like a lifesaver mm -hmm. um, as a stopgap measure. If they become a thing that you're using for the rest of your life, well, that's pointing you to something that's in the structure of your nervous system that needs healing. And I think the meditation can do that. You know, you can meditate on ADD meds and it can begin to help and make changes and get you to a place where you can then come off. Mm -hmm. um, and before you ever go on meds, I think I would, before I ever put a kid on a med, I would, now you might have to, and there are kids with major behavioral issues where you just, that just is what's needed. But I would also definitely be exploring concurrently either mindfulness and meditation type interventions, neurofeedback type interventions. There are interventions around the way we pay attention that have to do with training the mind that can be very, very effective. And I would have those as the first line of defense, <laughs> oh, you know, wow. as opposed to going straight to the medication. Well, I'm happy to hear that it's uh, making an inroad to education overall. I, did, I didn't know that. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Mm. Um, what kind of person do you, or it, maybe there's not a kind of person who's best at learning how to meditate is there a type that you get them in your class go whoa this this person's really going to get it and this guy's never going to get it are there types because i know you teach uh soldiers you teach teenagers teach everybody who gets it easily and why if that's the case well i mean people who are have kind of meditative dispositions find it easy people who are naturally calm and have a kind of quiet about them because it's familiar. So those people, it's the easiest in a way. And then the next people, next easiest are the people who are really good at concentration. So people who are really good at focusing with work or focusing with whatever it is, they can get kind of very zoomed into what they're doing. They tend to, mm -hmm. not always, but they can, that meditation, it's like they just use that, so those same skills. So, but I, I really think that anyone can do it once you understand what the skills are. Like I'm a perfect example. Like I was never someone who was a really great at concentration. My wife's better at concentration than I am, but I can sit down and just become aware of what's going on in my experience and see, oh yeah, there's all this strivy, effortful, stressed out energy that I'm actually pushing along inside me without knowing it. It's like, I'm continually moving that ball along and I can just go, oh, I don't need to move that ball along and just stop doing it. Not because I'm good at concentrating, because I, but because I'm good at being aware and I just learned that through practice and anyone can do that. And I mean, you got to realize that if you're someone who's got a lot of thoughts or is kind of agitated or jumpy, it's not like you're going to totally transform into a different person. It's the, the training is learning how to be okay with that part of you. And then in the noticing and being okay, it just happens. It's a lesson. But for those people, they're going to have the hardest time, but they're going to get the greatest reward in some ways, because that's the contrast between what they get when they come to a little more settled or calmness or sanity and how they are normally is going to be huge. And they're going to be like, oh man. Yeah. But it, there is a certain amount of, there's, there's, there's a little bit of training there. You know, there's a little bit of learning what you're doing and being okay with that. It's going to take time and being patient. And I was noticed you were working with Sean Mendez. Now there's a guy. Mm -hmm. Tell me he doesn't need meditation. He looks like the calmest guy in the whole wide world. Yeah. He is a very calm guy from what I know of him. He's uh, he's a wonderful person. He really cares about his fans. It's interesting getting to spend time with him. But but like everybody, you know, he's got a lot of he's got a certain amount of self consciousness as you would be if you're a public figure. All those eyeballs on you all the time, and he has challenging, no doubt, inner narratives and gets anxious and feels awkward. And so the practice I think really helps him. He's an, actually a good natural meditator. He just had a knack for it. You know, mm -hmm. um, kind of I guess he's got that disposition, but. 
I mean, I don't think there's, there are very few people who can't benefit from it. You know, I would almost say there's nobody who can't because it just helps you just be more yourself. When I started, um, I was thinking for myself, I'll give it maybe five lessons and 10 and 15. Now I've listened to you twice. I'm on 21, I think a second time around. Um, but uh, how long would it take them? Like if somebody wanted to start meditating, how, what's the longest amount of time you took for anybody to make headway for an individual to make headway? The difficult clients, the difficult yeah. customers. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. It's so variable. Like there are some people who on the very first time they sit, they notice a big difference, but then they may not be motivated to sit again. So, you know, so, but uh, I, I think, I mean, I used to run these way of the consciousness explorer classes where I would just take like 20 or 30 people. This is in person. Now I do the bigger retreats and, but I would get to know people over seven or eight weeks. And I would say, I don't think I had met anyone who wasn't able to make some headway in that time. It wasn't able to get something many, out of it. How many? That was over, that would be like a seven or eight week course. And, and I would say most of them were making headway within, a, you know, if the thing is most of them were doing it within a couple of weeks or even within one week, you know, especially if you're doing the practice every day. Uh -huh. um, but it's subtle. Like, it's not like if people expect these dramatic, you know, some people think they, they want the big fire fireworks and it, it doesn't, it's subtle. It's subtle. It's about, it's very much about kind of getting more simple, getting more ordinary, getting more settled it's like sometimes I call it the beautiful ordinary it's like you realize that just being here in this place in this kind of simple way is actually kind of nice and that's the thing that comes online with meditations the noticing that that it, it's kind of nice here it's okay like I'm okay I'm actually feeling kind of at ease in my body and it's not like I'm you know floating six feet of the ground or I'm suddenly enlightened and I'm like merging with trees and things or whatever it's more just like it's like how you feel after a long vacation where you just, mm. you're more, you know, you're enjoying what it feels like to walk. You got like a, a your, your body feels good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you meditate with your wife? We used to. Uh, now with the childcare, it's hard because we trade off, you know. Uh, but sometimes at night we do. Um, I'm trying to get her back into doing it. She's kind of come off the wagon. I came off the wagon for a while, but then I got, got back into it. Um, but you know, that's hard when you're a parent, it's hard with everyone, but being a parent, especially with two, I got a little toddler and I got a new baby and it's crazy. There's just, they're so high maintenance. Yeah. You, I thought your new baby was still to be born. No, he was born. Just, Sasha oh. born three weeks ago. When are you going to teach Sasha how to meditate? Uh, he's teaching me. <laughs> he's, this is one mellow baby. He's my, my first one has got a lot more, uh, He's got a lot of juice and uh, he's a lot, of, a lot of equanimity for dad is required in handling this guy. But the new one, he's chill. So I just sit with him on my chest and it's like, he's meditating me. It's like having this big cat purring. <laughs> so, but and I, I think the way parents do it, the best way for a parent is just, you try to model being sane and grounded around your kid. And that ends up being the, really the best training. And then at a certain, then you can kind of thread in stuff around and I'll, I'll be interested in for when I start to do it, they have to be able to understand, but starting to thread in basic things about stopping and what it feels like to pause and maybe take a few breaths and what, it, and like just basic social emotional stuff. I think you can start to thread that in, and, mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't make a kid sit still and meditate until I don't think that's good for a young kid. I mean, mm -mm. they should be, their meditation is living and is moving yes. around. 
Yeah. They don't seem to have a problem being in the moment. How did you discover exactly. meditation? And may I also ask you, you alluded a few times that you had a difficult time being successful, uh, staying with anything. Was that because of the ADD? And when did you yeah. have that change? When did you find meditation? Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of all the above. I was a, uh, I was a insane party animal, super, the idea of meditating. You don't look like a party animal to me. Not at all. This is my twenties, you know? So I just wasn't, I was just like a adventure junkie adrenaline. I did all, I did all kinds of crazy things and that's what I liked. I liked living full on in that way. And the idea of sitting and meditating seemed insane to me. But I was not regulated, you know, I was always go, 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 more, 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 excess, 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 and that includes, you know, in all the bad ways. And so my, my, I got really screwed up. And uh, I realized that I was never really, that I was moving all over the place, but I wasn't really present for anything. I was, and I wasn't connected really in my relationships. I just was, and I actually was kind of unhappy. Like, like I partied all the harder because of trying to hide the feeling of that I wasn't all that happy. so I, I, I was a journalist at that point, and I started to, um, at that point, I'd gotten an ADD diagnosis, and I started to, I wrote a book about consciousness and all about how, more of the science, and uh, I started meditating for that, and that's when I really started to see, oh, man, you're not even that happy, dude. You're, you know, you're just this, like, overworked, overthinking, neurotic, <laughs> you know, ADD fruitcake. It's time to, like, you know, get, try to do something about this, so that the sitting really it start it did something it made me calmer my relationship started getting better i felt um happier but it wasn't easy and there was and it, it went in waves you know to be honest there's times when it, at first it was like kind of novel it worked first it was hard and then it kind of broke through and it got easy for a while and then there was a few years where it was really easy and i was having all these big changes happen and i could see all these i was getting some of the special effects you hear about kind of in the mystical thing happening and i was like oh yeah i'm really I'm getting it. And then everything fell apart again. Because what happens when you do a long-term practice is, you know, it's, it's like I said about the awareness kind of being like eroding stuff. It starts to go down and get deep in there. And all this, the old stuff that you're maybe trying to hide from or didn't want to feel or don't want to look at things about you that you maybe don't like, they come up and you start to feel that those things and, and you have to kind of deal with them. And that's, those are, that's not easy. And that was a, so that was a hard time for me to, there was a few years there where I was, the sitting was more challenging and my life was more challenging. It was like, it felt like my life was more challenging after having started meditation than before. Oh. But it's like, you know, it's like one step, it's like two steps forward, one step back. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. And so now I could say, you know, it's just a lot of that is in the past. I still have challenges of dysregulation, especially with parenting and everything. But the, the practice is just like indispensable. It's like, I say, my metaphor is it's like taking my, uh, uh, what is it? It's like taking my insulin. It's like being diabetic. <laughs> if you don't take your insulin, the system goes all out of whack. Well, it's like meditation is like my insulin. I take, because also I got a bit of a bipolar too. I mean, I'm, I'm a full crazy person. So if I, if, I, if I don't do the meditation, I start to get more emotionally all over the place, more kind of crazy and hypomanic and just like a, a pain in the ass to everyone and to myself, but then I go back to sitting and things just get more sane and more regulated. And, and that's why it's so valuable. And then my relationships get better too. Um, Jeff, you said you, uh, when, when you discovered things uh, by meditating the second go around, 
you had a, you found out you had to do something about it. Maybe I paraphrase. What do yeah. you, is it an action step you go and do, or is it a matter of just sitting more and accepting more? It's both. Yeah. It's both. It's a great question. You're asking a really deep, deep, deep question because um, how do you help yourself? And there's sort of this paradox. There's sort of two parts to it. The deepest way you help yourself is just by not trying to quote, help yourself by just being with what's here, not going into fix it mode, doing mode, because that's just more of the same, but actually letting yourself open and accept and be present with all the hard stuff. And that act will actually start to clear through it and work through it. So it's hard. And having said that, there are times when that's really, really hard to do. And it really is helpful to have support for meaning a therapist, meaning uh um, some kind of body worker or one-on-one meditation teacher, someone who can kind of help you work through some of that hard stuff. And that is then a more active doing. It's like trauma work, for example, or mm. things of that nature, or like a, working with a therapist. And there were times in my life where I needed that. I couldn't just sit and be with what was going on because it was too crazy. Um, but now I have an extreme, I'm kind of more of an extreme situation because of these different mental health diagnoses. I think I don't meet people like me that often who have it that intense most people have some intensity, no question, and some challenges, but, you know, I, I require quite a bit of work. Um, but, you know, maybe I'm generalizing, maybe, maybe a lot of other people would too. I don't really know. Sometimes it helps to get some extra support. If it feels like just sitting with yourself and opening feels freaking impossible, mm-hmm. then why wouldn't you get a little extra perspective and help on it? It's just like, mm-hmm. it's the same with a physical challenge or physical injury. It just, it's common sense. Now tell me about your do nothing project. Another good label. so the do nothing project is uh um when i i used to i started something called the consciousness explorers club that was like an in-person meditation group here in toronto and we met all every week and it was awesome and it's still going strong and there's a it's happening online now after the pandemic but i moved for a while out of toronto to this other smaller town and I, i missed my community so i started a monday night so it's sorry it's sunday night so the consciousness explorers club is monday night do nothing project is Sunday night. I basically go onto YouTube at 8 PM Eastern standard and like 150 people or however many, sometimes more, sometimes less, they come join me. And then there's like a bunch, maybe another thousand to watch it later. Cause I put it up on YouTube and we just sit there and I just guide a really dead simple 25 minute practice. And it's the whole idea is it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's not trying to make it into any big teaching. I'm burned out tired at the end of the day. I'm not interesting. I'm just sitting there with my eyes closed. It's not, it's the worst piece of like, you know, internet viewing experience of all time. That's why so, I keep, keep coming back, I'm sure, right? But people come back because it's, it's, cause it feels good. You sit there, you close your eyes, you sit there, you do nothing. Or, or you do a like guided practice and people feel more connected. And now it's about the community. Now people are, you know, there's regulars, everyone recognizes each other. And it's like a little shot of sanity at the end of the weekend to get you prepped for the day. That's how I think of it. And I put them all, they're all on YouTube somewhere. Do you think people learn better by watching or is listening just as good? I think it's both. I think it depends on the person a little bit, but um, definitely you do learn by, by looking because you can kind of, you know, you, you kind of tell when you're around somebody who's, you can watch their body language, they're more settled and it kind of helps you get settled. So we're, we're social animals. So I think that's part of it. Um, but other people, yeah, they just, the voice is all they need or, or no voice. Some, some people go on and just turn off, turn off the sound because they just, they just want to sit in community. They don't want my voice bob, bobbing away. I can't blame them. Did you ever envision that uh, you would be a star in your space doing all this stuff in the public eye? And secondly, whether you did or not, it's happened. uh, How does it make you feel? 
You must get so much satisfaction out of it. You've got to really help people in that way. Um, a well, savior no, I, of sort, really. It's like playing savior of sort, really, beyond a teacher, I think. Well, that part is kind of weird. Um, oh, how do I don't even explain this. First of all, I never, ever wanted to even be a teacher. I never thought about it. It wasn't even on my radar. It only happened because my main teacher said that I had an act for it and he encouraged me. And so I just started doing it. And it was more as a journalist. I was interested in talking about consciousness in the mind. And so I kind of just grew into it. Um, and I was pretty uncomfortable with it at the beginning because I don't like the idea because I am, I've obviously got all these problems and issues. I'm not someone who's got it all figured out. And I really hate, hated the idea that somehow people would be thinking that about me because it's just not true. So, um, you know, so that, you know, made it kind of, I was more reluctant, but then as I got into it, it just became, it does, it is very fulfilling being able to feeling like I'm doing something that is making a difference is awesome. And doesn't make me feel good. And, um, it makes me feel like I have, yeah, it makes me feel like there's meaning in my life. It's not, but I've had to also notice things about that. There's part of me that maybe did it because I wanted to be liked or something. And you start to notice that from meditation, like not all your motives are pure, you know, part of your motives are that you want people to like you or whatever neurotic thing is there. So Oh, yeah, I, don't, not, I don't think anybody's preaching sainthood here. Come on, come yeah. on. You got to give yeah. yourself that. Yeah. What's wrong with wanting to be liked when you're working so hard and make such a difference to people? I guess there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. Really. Unless it's like, it, because you don't like yourself. <laughs> then oh. there's some work to do. Yeah, you know? I don't if you're, if you're looking for other people to kind of validate you, yes. then it's like, you got to learn it from in here. And meditation teaches you that too. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say thank you because uh, thank you for myself personally, of course. And uh Thanks for helping so many people. I mean, people, you should see what people say behind your back. I should have written down all the comments, <laughs> just read them to you, but I was afraid you'd get a big head and wouldn't be any good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's true. Yeah. Maybe it is true. But thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks. Oh, so no much. problem. It was a pleasure to meet you. Okay. Just know I'm listening to you tomorrow again. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Nice to meet you, Barbara. Same here. And that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.